We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. It is Wednesday, January 31st, and we are already at the end of January. It's It's been a whole month in 2024, and if you're like uh, me and a few of my friends this morning that were texting back and forth, January has seemed like a really long month. Um, it, it generally seems like it's longer than just the 31 days. Some months just tend to seem like that. And I don't know if it's because it's after the holidays and everybody's getting back to work. But uh, one of my, my best friends texted me this meme that said, I have decided my 2024 will start February 1st. January is definitely a free trial month. And I said, yeah, I would like to upgrade to the stress-free and no hassle plan. I am willing to pay for a better user experience. <laughs> and if a lot of you uh, feel that way, you are not alone in terms of uh, just no that 2024, we're going into some very interesting times. And uh, the question, though, that I have this morning for you is, how do you define ministry? And that is an important question, not just in church and in our Christian lives overall, but also part of civil government and civil society and how we interact with each other in community, which is, of course, our definition of politics, truth in community, how we live out God's truth and objective moral truth among ourselves as we interact with each other in society and figure out how to live day to day. And there are a lot of uh, reasons that ministry needs to be defined properly. One, first and foremost, because we always want to have a biblical definition of an understanding of what uh, we are supposed to do in terms of ministry as Christians. Uh, But it also has an important impact on our world around us. Of course, ministry has an important impact in our homes. um, If we have the proper and appropriate definition of parents uh, to children and understanding and even husband to wife and understanding that the family is the first ministry that God calls us to. Um, there are so many, even of, of, of my friends, that, um, and this is more acquaintances, but uh, you know, people that I've that I've gotten to know or observed that that they live out their family life almost like they're just roommates. And they are very self-focused on their own career path, their own desires, their own uh, their own interests, and and they just sort of tangentially happen to interact with each other to plan their schedules and do practical things like you would a roommate. And, I, and I've lived with roommates before um, in college and, you know, and, and so forth. And um, with me and the girls that I lived with, you know, we we had to figure out how to do life together. Right. But that doesn't constitute what the Bible describes 
and defines as marriage. So so we need to look at what ministry actually means in the context of family. Um, of course, we primarily think about it in the context of church. We think about sharing the gospel. We think about evangelizing. We think about children's ministry. For example, we think about the worship team. Uh, what type of ministry are you engaged in at church? It, it really means what, you know, what are you participating in at church? But I think we need to expand that definition truthfully and rightly and consider how our ministry is everything that we do on a day-to-day basis in civil society. And with that, we need to understand that we don't just have uh, careers in order to achieve success on the world's terms and in the world's metric. We are supposed to be engaged in, yes, providing for our families. Um, that is very important. That's that's part of a, a, the function of a job. I mean, work is actually something um, that is not a result of sin coming into our world. Um, God himself um, is a creator God, and, and creation and work is a good thing. Now, sin, of course, and our sin-cursed world has made that work harder, and it's made it um, much more difficult. We have to go out and toil the fields, as the Bible talks about. Um, but in terms of actually being productive, that's a whole different question. But what is the end result of being productive? Now, of course, the Bible talks about a worker being worth his wages, and we need to be productive, we need to um, maintain order, all of those really good things. But if we only think about our jobs, as um, as a lot of people do, that you go to, you know, whether it's an office, your home office, or whatever you do for, you know, eight to eight-ish hours a day, in order to just get a paycheck so that you can live the rest of your life, then you're missing a really important opportunity to impact civil society and really have a much more expansive ministry. This is why Christians need to consider that everything that we do with our our gifts and talents that God has given and where he has placed us, even in our jobs, in our daily lives, we have an opportunity for ministry. So, so think about it like this: um, If we, as Christians, were not are, and are not participating in every aspect of civil society and civil life and community and everything outside of the home and the church, then Christians aren't impacting the world and the culture. We need to be engaged as Christians, not just faithful workers, good workers. That is all very, very important. We need to be faithful uh, employees. We need to um, do a good job uh, for Christ, for our employers. All of those principles still apply. But I'm saying we need to expand the definition of how we view our day-to-day jobs. Because um, you may not be in in a specific career path or job that you think is necessarily focused on uh, sharing the truth of the gospel of Christ or doing something as, as maybe easily translatable as something like what I do every morning here at, at AFR. And I get to use um, my skills and talents, not only as a lawyer and legal analysis, but um, you know my experience in politics and media and discussing uh, all of these these principles. I mean, this is obviously a ministry, right? And, and I'm very grateful that I get to do that every morning and that my my job, the thing that gives me um, a paycheck, is also a a ministry. But even before I was doing um, radio here or uh, doing something as specific as, as as speaking out 
on the biblical worldview and translating the, uh, the, the apologetic of politics, if you will. Um, I always wanted to go into law because I considered that a ministry, because Christians need to engage in all of the aspects of our civil society and all of the different uh, career paths that impact our society. If you think about if, if Christians are engaged in law, in medicine, in philosophy, in business, in politics, I mean, in in teaching, in education, I mean, all of these different things. If we kind of hang our, our Christian hat at the door of our office and then go in and do that job and do it in a not immoral way, but more of amoral, not really thinking about how we bridge the the Christian life into our workplace, other than those principles of being a good employee and so forth, then we're missing a huge opportunity. Christians need to engage because we see headlines like a couple that I was reading this morning. Uh, This one from the Daily Mail. Gender ideology has torn our family apart. A Montana family who lost custody of their 14-year-old daughter after refusing to let her transition to a boy reveals their torment. So this is uh, a a really terrible story, and it goes on to talk about um, how a a 14-year-old girl was taken away uh, by social services after she had had some attention-seeking behavior, apparently, and uh, she was, she had undiagnosed mental health concerns, they said, which they believe uh, caused the urge to transition and was overlooked by social services. Well, if you read um, the rest of the article, it talks about how there were um, counselors and, um, and medical personnel that encouraged this girl to transition without her parents' knowledge. So these are people who are supposedly uh, medical experts, right, who are doing the work of living out their truth and a truth that is diametrically opposed to the objective truth of the word of God and truth in society while they are engaged in their workplace. They are living out and being apologists for a worldview at their workplace. And and this is just one of many examples uh, we could point, of course, to a lot of the uh, the legal battles that people fight, like this uh, topic as well, and, and this headline from the Daily Wire. Six pro-life activists face 11 years in prison as juries uh, the jury deliberates. The jury is set to deliberate on the fate of six pro-lifers who face 11 years in prison after being accused by the Department of Justice for a conspiracy against rights over a peaceful protest at a Tennessee abortion facility in March 2021. On Monday, the fourth day of the trial, lawyers for the defendants and the Department of Justice delivered their closing arguments at the federal courthouse in Nashville, Tennessee. The pro-lifers are charged by the government for violating the FACE Act and conspiring against rights, a charge that could lead to 11 years in prison. This didn't just happen with that specific moment in time of that peaceful protesting outside of an abortion clinic. You have to wind the story and the clock all the way back to say, first there had to be a face act. And then there had to be 
this understanding in our civil society that um, abortion is a so-called right. And then you have to get prosecutors that are willing to move forward with these types of, of really overinflated charges against these individuals. And, and all of this is to say that the left more often, not, not all the time at all, but more often than Christians live out their worldview in the workplace. And this is where we see the, the damage that is caused to civil society and the way that our institutions are completely breaking down. Because the the left would like us to believe that the so-called experts, like the ones who tell us that abortion is healthcare, that tell us that um, that young people can transition, that men can become women, and and all of these different ridiculous, completely false ideologies are true, and that we have to listen to them. And if Christians don't go and engage in these fields and in these professions and say no, that is not true, and we need to be writing the medical journals. We need to be the ones that are advancing the, the the truth in civil society. If you go back and you look at the most advancements, genuine advancements in all of these disciplines, in politics, in medicine, in, in law, in philosophy, 99% of the time, historically, it was Christians. But in our day and age in 2024 we have this this very odd perspective as christians that somehow we need to separate from engagement in society or we need to hang our christian hat at the door do our job and do it on the world's terms on the secular leftist terms and that we can't engage or speak up and, and i mean i've even had friends who've said i can't engage in this specific career path because that violates my christian faith um, in, in some of the ways that they teach, like they teach evolution in science. So I don't want to go and, and, and be in science. It's like, well, go and, and speak the truth. One of the reasons that I went to law school is because I wanted to be able to advocate for the biblical worldview in the context of law. And thankfully, we can. I mean, that was the only reason that that we won a victory for John MacArthur and Grace Community Church. And, and that's why I highlight that one because that's the one that's public. I mean, there have been many other cases that aren't public, that haven't gotten the headlines, um, that I've advanced the Christian worldview in law. And if we don't have lawyers that are willing to do that, then we're ceding the ground to the secular leftists. What are we ceding the ground to in all of these other fields? If we think that the only our only purpose as Christians in going to work is to earn a paycheck and to be a good employee, we have to go and live out our worldview that is grounded and rooted in biblical objective truth so that we can transform society and that we can make advancements for the truth of the gospel of Christ. And it may not be expressly sharing the gospel day to day, But that's exactly what you need to be doing at your workplace. So again, the question is, what defines ministry? We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Daisy and her husband decided they never wanted kids. When she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. 
But after she and her husband met her baby on an ultrasound and heard the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. Her baby Jeffrey is healthy and beautiful. Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Biden has tapped out on control of the border. Quote, I've done all I can do. So this is uh, Katie Pavlich speaking to reporters from the South Lawn of the White House Tuesday while standing in front of a noisy Marine One. President Joe Biden again claimed he doesn't have the power to fix the current crisis at the border and it's up to Republicans to pass new legislation to solve the issue. Uh, Joe Biden is really doing nothing. He's absolutely derelicting his duty. I think he needs to be impeached and Republicans need to get it together, but also because he clearly doesn't care about the U.S. soldiers uh, that were killed in this Iran proxy strike. And joining me now to discuss all this and more is our good friend Joel Rosenberg, who is the editor-in-chief of allisrael.com. And so, Joel, um, I really appreciate always you coming on for updates on the situation in the Middle East. Um, How has uh, Biden's lack of response with um, this uh, this attack and, uh, against our U.S. soldiers uh, impacted the conflict that's going on in the Middle East? Well, Biden's overall um, uh, lack of strength is just literally showing weakness uh, day by day is, is what helped invite this massive attack against Israel uh, in the, to, to begin with. And it's gotten worse since then, right? I mean, Americans have been attacked over and over and over again. I, I've, I've actually lost count. I think we're up in somewhere near 200 attacks um, on Israeli forces, I mean, I'm sorry, American forces throughout the region, and now including uh, Jordan and, and throughout the region. And, and, and so at what point does a, does a commander-in-chief say enough? Like, like how, you know, the Pentagon always has responses ready. So you don't need you don't need days, weeks, right? This has gone on since October seventh. There's just like two hundred attacks on our soldiers. People are dying. People are getting injured, and America looks weak. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm trying to be nonpartisan when I say this, but I, I what commander in chief doesn't fight for his own troops? I mean. And lets them be in harm's way over and over again with with no with almost no response. And even when you make pinprick response, that's not a response, right? Iran is getting away with murder, not just against Israel, um, but but against America, like an America. You know, and and you don't have to be you don't have to be by uh, um, sort of America first to think if you get attacked two hundred times, there should be massive retaliation, right? So um, I. I Look, it's all par for the course. Like we, this is who Biden is. He's weak. The world is taking advantage of him. The enemies of of America and Israel are taking advantage of us. We're fighting back here in Israel. Biden is not. 
And and I could not agree more, Joel Rosenberg. And uh, and to me, it doesn't matter who is actually currently in the White House, if that's a Republican, a Democrat, or anything in between. I want the commander-in-chief of the U.S. military and the person who um, is, the, is the president to care about American soldiers and and to fight for this country Absolutely. and to make the right calls because you know we shouldn't be living in this media perpetuated kind of 24/7 election cycle. I mean it used to be and and maybe this was kind of my um, rosy colored memories of childhood, perhaps of, of saying, you know, we used to be at least I mean, while we always had be political disagreements and debates and stuff, at least we had elections. And then we kind of, you know, regrouped as as Americans, at least and and understood, OK, we now have a president. Maybe we didn't vote for him. We don't like him, whatever. But we we at least all wanted the same thing in terms of of the best for our country. And so I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, I hope that Biden is a disaster. I'm upset that he is a disaster. And I would rather him make some good decisions, even in an election year, even if that boosts his popularity a little bit. I would rather see him be competent. Yeah. Well, uh, Democrats uh, in office uh, in the White House have not been competent. I think you'd have to go back to uh, probably to to John F. Kennedy, uh, where he, you know, in the Cuban Missile Crisis, stared down the Soviet Union, um, you know, at, a, at the peak nuclear tension. People thought World War III was about to begin. But that's how far back you have to go back to remember a, a Democratic president who was serious about U.S. national security. Right. I, I, you know, I, I'll, I will give credit to President Obama for sending um, U.S. special forces into Pakistan to take out Osama bin Laden. He gets credit for that. He was weak in so many other ways and, of course, did that terrible Iran nuclear deal where he gave $150 billion in cash uh, to the worst enemy of America, the worst enemy of Israel. That was a disaster. Um, but um, And that was more of who Biden really, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Obama really was. But uh, Same difference. Against but yeah. the, <laughs> remember, in, in the case of, of the decision by the National Security Council, and ultimately President Obama, to send U.S. Special Forces into Pakistan to get and to kill Osama bin Laden. Guess who, remember who was for it? That was Hillary Clinton. Remember who was against it? That was Joe Biden. Now, like, that shows you how weak Biden is. If you're not willing to send U.S. Special Forces to go kill Osama bin Laden, then, then how could you possibly be the commander-in-chief that, that people can trust? And the point is he's not. Right. And, and we I, I think that most uh, conservatives would agree that we appreciated about President Trump's first four years that he didn't engage in new wars. It, it wasn't necessary. But at the same time, uh, and in fact, you know, he was um, nominated yesterday for a Nobel Peace Prize because of that, which is the fourth time. And oh, you know, wow. they're not going to give it to him. <laughs> but um, over the and, and over the Abraham Accords. And, and that was uh, representative. Um, yeah. One, one of the he Republican representatives. So, yeah, absolutely. Over the Abraham Accords, all of that was great. But having worked for President Trump and knowing him, if this situation had happened during his administration, he would have been the first one to immediately strike back and want all of his options and would have cared about U.S. soldiers and wouldn't and wouldn't have said, oh, well, I, I need to just maintain my peacetime presidency or 
or or like Joe Biden not even cared. I mean, it seems like Biden is just is just abdicating his entire responsibilities to the other incompetent people in his administration. So on the world stage, uh, where does that leave with with with, the, with America as one of the strongest allies to Israel kind of taking a back seat here? Um, how much has that encouraged Hamas and Iran uh, to continue this, uh, to escalate this conflict? Uh, yeah, well, it, it has made the situation much, much worse. Um, Biden is a walking metaphor or a limping metaphor. He, his personal, physical um, and mental weakness, and I say this out of sadness, I mean, it's just patently obvious, even to his friends, that he's not capable of this job. Why he's trying to ask the country for four more years is, you know, astonishing. And why the Democratic Party is going to let him is even more astonishing. But but he's a walking metaphor. His weakness is the weakness he displays in terms of policy to the rest of the world. And that and I, you know, Jenna, I believe that the next year is the most dangerous moment in American modern history. And I say that because the weakness in the first three years of the Biden administration, um, you know, encouraged Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine. Okay, it encouraged Iran to give the green light to Hamas to invade Israel and slaughter us. You know, it's and and the the risk is over the next year, what's North Korea going to decide to do with its long range ballistic missiles? Right. What's is, is, is China going to go invade uh, Taiwan this year? Like they say, they said publicly they, they want to get Taiwan by 2027. But if you're making a decision right now in any one of those capitals or any terror group, and you're thinking, I have big plans to do horrible things against America and its allies, why wouldn't you do it in 2024, right? You Looking at the polls, you don't want to wait for – uh, the re-election of President Trump or some other Republican. You, you, you're thinking if if I want to de- if I want to hit America and her and her allies and not worry about much of a strong response, 2024 is my year. Right? Mm. That's the, the calculus that's going on in the world. It's it's just that most of our enemies have such grudging respect of American power for so long that they can't quite believe how weak America is right now. But Putin took his shot. Iran has taken its shot. How much longer till North Korea and communist China and others go for the gold? And, and uh, you know, it, that's what makes this year so dangerous. And I, we just have to pray we can get to the finish line and, and not just to the election. It has to be you need a whole new administration, and then they need to get in office, and then they need to get in, you know, find where the desks are, and, and uh, figure out where the men's room and the women's room is and then figure out how to defend our country. You need experienced people who can get in there on day one. Yeah, and, and you raise a really good point, uh, Jill Rosenberg, uh, editor-in-chief of All Israel News, that if there is to be a transition of the presidency and Joe Biden isn't reelected, we're a year away from that. I mean, this is January 31st. A new right. administration wouldn't take over until January 20th of uh, next year. 
And so, you know, a lot of people say, well, this is an election year that the Democrats don't want to have anything, you know, in terms of the polls. I mean, that's very much domestic policy. That's very much, you know, I mean, I don't think that any of these other superpowers care about American voters. They would be looking at their opportunity. And and I have heard a lot of other um, commentators as well who conservatives who are very concerned that 2024 may be a year of a terrorism against the United States and um, and potentially some of these other um, world events as as you've been describing like China invading Taiwan and so forth because of how weak Joe Biden is and they have a year to do it so how do we yeah. as well, Christians <laughs> move forward um, you know praying on it yeah and fin- finish that thought and then uh, get to how we as Christians you know pray for this well, yeah, I mean, we got to pray that God has mercy on us uh, because because we, we're in the hands of a of a of a government that, of, a, of a commander in chief that isn't in charge and he isn't serious and everybody knows that. And so, yeah, I wrote a whole novel, uh, a whole political thriller that came out last year called "The Libyan Diversion," about a radical Islamist terrorist in Libya who sets up a diversion to cause. The American um, uh, president and, and his team to look one way while terrorists are sneaking into America through tunnels uh, from from Mexico. I mean that's the premise, and and they 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 try to and they, and they smuggle in um, radioactive uh, nuclear dirty bombs into the United States to try to commit a, a terror attack a uh, hundred times worse than 9/11. That I hope remains a political thriller. Right. The Libyan diversion is fiction. But, you know, when you look at eight million people coming in across the Mexican border and and the Biden administration fighting the governor of Texas to keep the border open, like it, it, we've gone past. Like if I'd written that as a novel, like my publisher wouldn't publish it. They'd be like, Joel, I know it's fiction, but you can't make up something that's so ridiculous that no American president would ever do that. But that's what's actually happening right now. And I'll tell you another thing uh, real quick, uh, Jenna. I'm actually in the north of Israel right now. I'm right on the Lebanon border. I'm in Kiryat Shmona, which is the largest city in, um, in, in northern Israel, um, right near the border of Lebanon. And um, the, the fighting up here is getting more and more intense. This entire city, 23,000 people, it's all evacuated. It's a ghost town. And I've got to tell you, what's interesting about that to me is we're, we're, we're winning, Israel's winning, in Gaza against Hamas. It's going to take longer to finish it. But we have, but we've turned the corner. We're we're going to win this thing. Then we're shifting. Already, troops are shifting out of Gaza to the north because we're going to have to fight Iran's other, um, you know, proxy Hezbollah, and it's going to be a massive war. I mean, God could do something to prevent it from happening. That would be wonderful. But at the moment, it looks like 2024 is going to be the biggest war in the Middle East in 10 years. Uh, maybe maybe in a half century. Like we, we're talking about upwards of forty to 50,000 missiles could be fired at Israel when this war goes to the next level. But we can't live with Iranian-backed terrorists right on our border attacking us every single day. So we're No, and this is why moment. Texas... This is why Texas can't yeah, live with uh, exactly. with the invasion at the border as well. And meanwhile, Biden has tapped out. Like I said at the beginning of the segment, I've done all I can do. This is absolutely insane. But Joel Rosenberg, we'll have to leave it there for today. Always appreciate you coming on. Look forward to uh, you coming on next week as well. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.
If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. All right. So... Let's talk about Taylor Swift. And I know that uh, that everybody who watched the NFL game, uh, which was not me, full disclosure, <laughs> last weekend, is kind of sick about uh, of, of, of talking about Taylor Swift. But I think we need to because this is now the conservative mantra from some influencers on social media, on uh, X, on Instagram, and possibly some of the people that that uh, you who are listening to this show listen to. Um, this was from our good friend Benny Johnson. It's all fake. Taylor Swift exposed as a Fed operative to rig the 2024 election for Biden and the Pentagon admits it. So we have a lot of these kinds of um, hot takes from conservatives, but our good friend John Root had a different take. He posted this on Instagram. Conservatives, let's talk about Taylor Swift and the NFL. First off, I don't know these tweets. Um, I know these tweets don't represent all conservatives, but there's a substantial amount that agree with these irrational clickbait tweets. This just shows you didn't watch the games or know football at all. P.S. Not everything is a psyop. So joining me now is John Root. Um, John, I, I just have to say, um, like, are we thinking like NFL is now the WWE and somehow this is like a big psyop just because Taylor Swift, we know, is a Democrat and endorsed Joe Biden in 2020? I mean, like what what is even going on here? <laughs> it, it's all just laughable at this point because there's so many people that are trying to say the NFL was rigged because the last three Super Bowls have lined up with the Super Bowl logos colors. And then this year's Super Bowl colors were red and purple. So everyone's like, whoa, it's scripted. It's going to be the Ravens and the Niners. And then now it's like, no, it's the Chiefs and the Niners. So we have to start throwing out our clickbait tweets. We have to start saying that the NFL is rigged and it's Democrat propaganda. It's like, no, this is why conservatives look absolutely idiotic when it comes to talking about sports. Watch the games. Literally, the last four out of five Super Bowls, the Chiefs have been in. Patrick Mahomes is probably the, is the best quarterback we've seen since Tom Brady. Travis Kelsey could probably go down as the greatest tight end of all time. They deserve to beat the Dolphins. They deserve to beat the Bills. They deserve to beat the Ravens. They deserve to be in the Super Bowl. And all these takes are just irrational and they're trying to cater to a base that thinks everything is a conspiracy theory, everything is a psyop, 
And when you start researching and saying, hey, maybe the reason that Travis Kelsey is working with Bud Light is because Bud Light has been the official beer of the NFL for 27 years. Once you start doing that research, you start realizing that, oh, maybe NFL is just a business trying to capitalize on the biggest megastar in the entire world, Taylor Swift. They have a big sponsor they're going to cater to. Not everything is a conspiracy theory. And just because we got a few, quote-unquote, conspiracy theories right over the last three, four years doesn't mean that everything is a conspiracy theory. But it would be so much more fun, John, if everything was a conspiracy theory. And we I'm have to go in. To be such a buzzkill <laughs> for everybody. But maybe if we put two and two together, it starts to make sense. What a crazy idea, right, Jenna? Wait, but we're not using Common Core math anymore? What is even going on with you? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean,. I get that there are so many people that say, well, conspiracy theories are just predicting the future. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, is is going on that seems very nefarious. And and yes, when you're looking at some things like vaccine mandates or some things that that are are kind of obvious two plus two equals four. But I think the point that you're making that I agree with is not everything necessarily has a deeper layer. And it's been fascinating to me to see how many people have contacted me this week alone since Sunday saying, what's going on with Taylor Swift? Is she going to um, you know, step in and 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 uh, replace Joe Biden on the ticket um, and and be you know the presidential candidate? And we actually talked about that on this show earlier this week because that was such a big issue. And I mean, is it possible? Yes. Um, But to me, maybe the more probable thing is just she is a very, very, very popular Democrat with a huge fan base of very young people that the Biden administration is known for using entertainment and celebrity influencers to try to convert votes. And guess what? There is actually nothing illegal about that. So when people kind of throw out and conservatives throughout this term rigged, I think we have to kind of step back and say, well, what exactly is is the accusation? What is the claim? Because if it's just that oh no, Taylor Swift is going to go and influence her millions and millions of fans to maybe go and vote for the first time and vote on the Democrat ticket. Well, maybe that should prompt conservatives to go out and influence even more. I mean, I I think honestly, John, if pastors across the country would influence their congregations to go vote, they would actually collectively influence more people than Taylor Swift. Am I wrong on that? No, I don't think you're wrong on that at all. Obviously, we can have the conversation about, you know, how political should a church be getting, how on the nose should they be talking about who we should vote for. Obviously, there's muddied lines now when you have it's it's just Biden versus Trump again. And a lot of people are trying to bring up like, well, you know, the last time it was Biden versus Trump. Uh, it was the Chiefs and the Niners in the Super Bowl, and it's happening again. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, I hate when people tell me to go touch some grass, but maybe at times people do need to put their phone down and start touching grass. And what I'm trying to tell people is, you know, tell me you have little to no faith in Trump and his campaign and his influencers without telling me you have little to no faith in Trump, his campaign, and his influencers when you're like, the 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 whole thing's rigged. They're going to use Taylor Swift. It's like, no, what are we going to do to combat Taylor Swift? She's a megastar, 
And whether we like it or not, I am not a fan of Taylor Swift. I am not a Swifty. I have called her out. I've called Travis Kelsey out for shilling for the vaccine. But Taylor Swift is a very likable figure from a young female demographic all the way up to middle-aged moms. She's going to be able to get people to vote. She put a single story post to get people to register to vote. And Jenna, she got 35,000 people based off one Instagram story to become a registered voter. She moves the needle and she is unbelievably effective. And we look like really sore losers if we're going to try to say that everything's rigged just because Biden, who has the worst approval rating since Jimmy Carter, like you said, Jenna, decided to use a celebrity influencer uh, to help him out. He needs that kind of help. And unfortunately, right and left, we're pretty irrational. We're like cult followers in many ways. We don't think rationally about issues and policies and can't really look past um, the couple inches in front of her face to see, hey, what can this vote mean for months from now, years from now, and generations from now. So what we need to do on the conservative side is stop just calling Taylor Swift ugly, saying Travis Kelsey catches sixes on and off the field, and nobody knew who Travis Kelsey was before this. It's like Travis Kelsey was one of the biggest personalities in the entire league. Him and his brother Jason Kelsey have the biggest sports podcast probably outside of Pat McAfee uh, in the entire nation. So if people just start really understanding uh, and doing some research and figuring out a way to combat the issue that is most likely going to be the issue of the Taylor Swift effect, maybe we can find a way forward and maybe turn this country around and turn it red. Well, this just shows uh, John Root, and I'm speaking of John Root, who is a Christian conservative commentator. You can follow him on all social media platforms at Johnny Root. It's J-O-N-N-Y, no H, uh, Root. And this just shows, uh, John, that a lot of people are not following the NFL very closely. Um, So, for example, this is the first time in this conversation that I realized um, and have been informed that it's actually Travis Kelsey. I've always read it as Kels before this because I'm not an NFL fan. So this just shows you, though, that that people like me, right, would go and and read some of this stuff and have never heard of this guy until – Taylor Swift because we haven't been following football and then think, oh, well, this just means that now it's some kind of coordinated PR stunt. Um, There's got to be some kind of, you know, brokered element here. And what I find um, really fascinating, two things here is first of all, to to all of that, so what is the Republican National Party doing to combat the 35,000 uh, registrations that Taylor Swift made on one social media post. I mean, where are what are our influencers doing? Well, they're they're making rap songs, they're uh, posting conspiracy theories, and doing a lot of other things that maybe maybe just just maybe aren't actually moving the needle. And second, um, how I don't really understand how people who are who want a Republican in the White House, you know, Trump Trump, or anybody else, right? So I'm not just speaking about MAGA or Trump supporters, but people in general who, who want the Republican ticket to succeed, they kind of have this dual um, 
theory that they're promoting at the same time, which on one hand says there is absolutely no way that Trump can lose because he's that popular. But then they also argue, but if he does, then we know that it's rigged. And I'm and I'm thinking those are two actually mutually exclusive arguments that you're advancing at the same time. Which is it? And 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 how it whichever one you believe, how are you helping advance that to fruition? Because if you really think it's impossible for Trump to lose, what are you doing to further his his campaign and his progress and the nomination? I mean, maybe some these were some of the people in Iowa. But if you really think, well, there's no way, you know, all of this stuff is rigged, then what are you doing for election integrity or to actually uh, to to change that? Because you got a lot of time until November. I'm glad you bring up election integrity because the way this is all set up is for conservatives to be like that meme of that guy that's on his bicycle and then he puts something in the spoke of his bicycle, falls over, and then he's grabbing his knee, and then he's trying to blame anything other than himself for causing the crash. All conservatives have been doing since I know I've been involved in the movement or been a commentator in the movement is constantly playing defense. It's insufferable to listen to, to read the tweets, and to see that there are people that continue to grow platforms based off just playing defense. We refuse to play offense, and I think because it sells. People are going to tune into the news when – Uh, The left just continues to run rampant with their ideologies, and it's evil stuff that's being pushed. And I think we need to be able to fight back by being a little bit more aggressive. Uh, If we start planning out how we can fight against things like this, they're setting things up to be like, see, again, it's Trump and Biden. It's rigged. Uh, But what did you do for election integrity? Um, What did you do against uh, ballot harvesting within that topic? What did you do to combat the Taylor Swift effect? Who do we have on the Republican side and the conservative side to be able to get people riled up for for Trump if he's going to continually be the guy and get them not only registered to vote, but out to the polls and vocal online? Because we know the online presence right now has been unbelievably effective in swaying votes, probably since Obama. Obama did. Whether we like it or not, he did an incredible job of utilizing social media in 08 and getting people um, involved in what in what he was doing. Every single candidate needs to be able to utilize social media well. And uh, we are – and I, I like when Steve Dace talks about how much of an idolatrous nation we are. So, of course, an idolatrous nation is going to prop up their own golden calves like people – such as Taylor Swift, and they're going to follow what she says. And it almost doesn't matter if she's able to articulate policy or really why she doesn't like Trump um, or why she really, really believes we should support Biden. You know, people are just going to be like, well, I kind of like Taylor Swift. I enjoy her music. Uh, I'm glad that she's dating a a football player. She smiles a lot. um, And I'm going to kind of go where she goes. Uh, but hopefully we start being a little, little bit more strategic instead of just playing uh, defensive all the time. And if we put together a good strategy, because I'm telling you this, Jenna, and I know you know this, but if Trump is going to just echo the same rhetoric that we've been seeing from irrational, silly 
conservative influencers online and starts calling Taylor Swift ugly or name calling her and her fans, like it's not going to win people over. It's not going to change hearts and minds. Uh, so hopefully there's legitimate, rational people putting together a strategy to say, hey, this looks like it's going to be effective in this upcoming election. Let's figure out our own influencers. Let's figure out our own campaigns. And let's combat this, this juggernaut we're against. Yeah, uh, let's actually talk about policy and what um, concerned voters want to hear instead. I mean, the easier thing is to just call her ugly, right? And, and that's the easier. Those are the viral things. This is why a lot of people on the conservative influencer side are called grifters, because in, in politics, that word refers to people who use the political process just as a way to enrich themselves. And it's very easy to do that right now on social media. It's a lot harder to actually talk about policy, to actually know the rule book, to talk about the Constitution, to talk about how we get engaged and involved in the process. It's not as easy as just putting up this, you know, bombshell report, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, John Root, always really appreciate your time this morning. And the bottom line is we need to be engaged conservatives. And how are we moving the needle to advance America forward? The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.